Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 26th of November 2017. For those who've studied the big system you're born into and which is all around you, it's everywhere, it is an actual system minutely choreographed in a sense by those who give us culture and plan economies and Along with economies come the populations and who, the age groups, etc. Who's going to work in what and, and all of that kind of thing. We're well into a, a completely scientifically run system. It's not conspiracy. You have governmental departments dealing with the population, the size of population, the age groups and demographics. All these kind of things to do with running their system. And you hear about it all the time. We need X amount of population for the next generation to pay off the debt and things like that. It's constantly being studied in statistics, etc., to make sure that everything works down the road for those who really run the world. <laughs> because the people at the bottom don't have really much of a say in anything, really. You've got a, a bunch of choices in your life, so you think you're free. And your choices are really are, are very limited, in reality, you might have a couple of hundred choices, but you're, you're still limited. You have choices in what kind of shoes you want to wear, or what kind of color of clothing you want to wear, things like that. You have lots of choices, but with important decision-making, it's all done at the top, naturally. Because those who run power, just like any corporation, must always ensure that down the road they're still in charge of, of whatever sector of the economy and sales are involved in. That's how simple it is. I say it's simple, but you have many, many departments all working in the same areas. Plus, you have a lot of non-governmental organizations, literally, literally almost private, private bureaucracies, you might say, who also get work farmed out to them by governments. All governments do that today, and more so than ever, in fact. So we're living in a, in a big scientifically managed system. We've had lots of good movies down through the ages where they show you Little glimpses, and, and often in, in analogy to do with the system you're coming into, as you're coming into it. But they're no sooner out those movies before you're actually in the system itself that's portrayed in the movie that was portrayed as sci-fi at the time. For instance, you had Minority Report to do with predictive crime and predictive arrest. So you, you arrest people before they commit the crime. And because you know they're going to commit the crime, you arrest them before they did it. But regardless, because you know they were definitely going to do it, then you charge them in the same way as though they had done it. That kind of stuff. Well, that's all on the internet, too. It's incredibly <laughs> minutely observed and monitored. And it's not my guess at this kind of thing. There are so many different agencies, again, privatized agencies, working with governments all over the world. Because you're in a global system today. A completely global system. And the same agencies can work with many other countries too, using the same techniques for managing their populations in certain areas. We also had Brave New Worlds, an awfully good look at how, for instance, at this present time, those who are considered to be the barbarians, the ones who come from a previous generation, you might say, into the present how they see the present, and they're called by the, those in the present a barbarian because you, your values are old-fashioned, they say. They're out of date, out of sync, and they don't apply anymore. 
So it's quite easy to see how they call you a barbarian. You're quaint, mind you. You're quaint, and they'll smile, and they'll tolerate you. But they can't go along with anything that you, you say to them. If you, say, well, if, you car- if you say to them, if you carry on oh, like this, you'll be extinct. Uh, and things like that, it doesn't make any difference. They'll, they'll laugh at you. And we're, we're pretty well there, aren't we? We're living in a system where uh, even an article I was reading from, from one of the government institutions recently mentioned about, they always say about live births, because now uh, with so many abortions, uh, they always put down X amount of live births because there's so many who, who never get to get born uh, because of abortion. So many of them, some, and who knows, some, some folks say it's over half, well over half in many countries are, are actually aborted. And then they tell you there's not enough people. And they're constantly doing surveys too to see if, because they don't really want those in those countries to actually have children. They, they want to use it as an excuse to bring other folk into those countries because you're living in a, in a completely different system, an international system today. And so it's been made to be international. So you must eradicate the, the old populations in a sense, or let them die off at least. This is old stuff. This is stuff that H.G. Wells talked about at the beginning of the 20th century. And he worked for the Fabian Society and a few other societies. And the Fabian Society was just the, the left-wing organization to manage the working class people under the pretext that they were there to help them. But in reality, it was to, it was to bring in the socialized, managed, expertly run society that the, the so-called right-wing wanted anyway. And then that's how, they, how they, they worked it out to be. And we're in it today. We're in it today where we're so well-managed. And most folk don't know that they're, they're even managed. Some countries do, more so. Some countries do. Where they've, they've used them as test beds for experimentation in the social new norms, basically. As I've mentioned, Gerfeck in Scotland, where they, uh, every child who is born gets a, a government kind of appointee guardian type appointed to them who has access to the homes and everything else, all, all the children, to make sure that they, they grow up with the right indoctrination and the right indoctrinated ideas and the right indoctrinated opinions. What a tremendous experiment, eh? More so tremendous that the people actually allow it to happen. Quite some, but don't forget that Scotland's SNP is a complete international socialist-run system under the guise of a nation, the Scottish National Party. What a joke! It was always to be international, always. You can't have them both, can you? But what an experiment! I'll touch on that tonight too. But the main point tonight is, is just, uh, and it really is a spur-in-the-moment thing for me, is is to to, to show how. You're, you're living through this amazing, amazing, well-planned script. And again, I've, I keep using the same examples. Go into the statements about foundations, for instance. Foundations are set up by an international elite of multi-billionaires. Now it's trillionaires, actually. And they have massive funding. They're tax-free foundations. And they employ multi-thousands of non-governmental organizations as armies that go out and lobby on their behalf and do many other things too. They also own most of the think tanks across the planet. And they advise governments as to what to do. When I say advise, they tell governments what to do. And the politicians know it. The ones at the very, very top are international. Every other organization is a subcategory of the same one at the top. 
And I've gone into the history of that many times as well. Again, no conspiracy theories. It's in their own words, in their own, own records too, what their goals always were. And that's what Aldous Huxley talked about in his interviews with uh, Mike Wallace. He, he said that his biggest fear, his biggest fear for his class, his own class. And, and, and when you say class, he, he saw himself as, as part of an intelligentsia, scientific class. His brother, Julian Huxley, had said that at the very top, you have the economic giants. Beneath them, you have the scientific class that runs it all beneath them, including uh, the behaviorists and scientists who deal with the minds and the masses. Uh, these were the ones who were the specialist class who dealt with that. Then you had teachers and academia, etc., all the way down to the bottom. So many classes, and, and Aldous Huxley talked about being in the scientific class. And he said that at that time, when, in interviews with Mike Wallace, he said, Overpopulation was their biggest worry at the time. Now, when you go into Julian Huxley and read his writings from the late 1800s onwards, he was obsessed on behalf of his class with the wrong people being born. They were really into genetics long before Adolf Hitler came along. They were into genetics and eugenics and, and the right kind of genes and the wrong kind of genes and so on and so on and so on. And they really didn't make any, any differentiation between the peasant class of, of, say, Britain and the peasant class in any other country. That's what's so interesting about it. People at the bottom, especially, are, are given a form of nationalism. Because it was always good to have the idea of, of nationhood within you. There's a natural instinct, too. You love the country you're on, you're, the, the, even the soil you're on. You have, it's, in, it's almost in your genes. But it's abused. And then they use that against you as they send you off for to countless wars, countless wars. And, and it thins out the population, and they're quite blatant about it. That's one aspect of it, too. And they have less trouble at home, as they say. They say that many revolutions are caused by overpopulation. This is what they're taught amongst their classes at the top. And so they can do away with, with internal revolutions if you keep a safety valve off by by simply uh, exporting them to other countries, like Australia, Canada, and so on, or having wars, or both. But the wrong kind of people, as they keep saying, the wrong kind of people were getting born, and they wanted to do something about it. Aldous Huxley said, he said, scientific techniques have been developed, which could induce people to accept a system or systems which they ought not meaning in their better interest, they ought not to accept. Techniques that, w that would be used upon them, which they would be oblivious of, but, it, but which would act upon them, you see. And we have all that today. In his writings, he talked about the radio and, and so on, different techniques, and indoctrination through school, but he add on to that the television, the greatest weapon of all, actually. And then the computer, and you definitely get, especially when you standardize information across the board, you definitely will have standardized people all getting the same information, all with the same opinions, because it's all given to them scientifically. And so it becomes, their opinions are given to them, are done so well, they don't realize they've been given those opinions, but they will start parting them without reasoning them through. Well understood way back in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, and so on. 
And don't forget The Brave New World by Huxley was written about 1932 and 1933, and, um, and, and it was dead on with the techniques that would be used. Free love, etc., which wasn't new, because long before him, you find H.G. Wells had been promoting that in the late 1800s. There was a free love society run by the same multi-billionaires at the top. They funded it, they asked their families, etc. And that's what I'm going to talk about tonight, because... You'll still have it today, if you even brought this up, these topics up I'm going to touch on tonight. You'll have people who say, well, what's wrong with that? Isn't it better to have a uniform peace across the board than occasional upstart causing trouble? And what it's about is the right to be an individual versus the system or society's right to manage everyone into a uniform standardized system a collectivist-type mentality and system. And even bringing that up, you'd have, oh, very heated debates before you knew it. And lots of people that you'll know will take the opinion that, yeah, well, it's right that people should be made to believe and do and etc. made, made, made for the peace and the good of all. And that's a common theme that comes out. And it's exactly the same as those at the very top who do control the system, uh, have debated long, long ago, and and they have chosen the fact that the system that they would make sure that, uh, was going to be in place is the present system of mass surveillance. Uh, the predictive abilities of computerized systems to, to understand exactly every individual and where they're going to go in the near future, down the road, etc., by the data collection. And we're, we're pretty well in it today. So nothing, as I say, nothing that happens outside some, some asteroid flying in through that they never saw coming, nothing that happens in your lifetime wasn't planned. Everything, everything is planned that way. And a foundation, one foundation or a private corporation can work out 100 years into the future where they want to be. That's how they work it. And I've said they could, they could hire and retire different generations along the way until they achieve, achieve their objective. There's nothing difficult about it. If you have a motto, and here's their motto, this is where you're going to be in a in 150 years' time, and, and every, every group that's brought in on board to work there and retire there lives to that motto. They can make it happen. That's how things are done. The average Joe can't imagine that because we, we are short-term planners generally. We, we don't have uh, that, that ability in our, our, our little lives <laughs> with limited income and all the rest of it. We don't have that ability to plan to such incredible depth. Our futures is, is not so easy. In fact, we're, we're subject to the, to the rises and falls of stock markets and uh, crashes and all the rest of the stuff that comes upon us. It's all out of our hands. So to show you how we're into the socialized system, now, the elite want socialism for the, to manage the people. Socialism, communism, doesn't matter what you want to call it, it's the same thing. It's a collective society where eventually, step by step, you're brought into a collectivist system. You'll be dished out money by the government and whether you're working or not, and you've you got to spend it or, or else you can't. Uh, it won't be saved up. That's, that was Bertrand Russell. I've gone through that before many times before where he, he wrote about that in his books. Uh, that was a big plan. Now, Let's go before even he came along, at least in any known sense of the word. We have H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells is quite an amazing character because he, he was really out there 
uh, in the, the 18, late 1800s, as I say, involved in this free love uh, movement and all the rest of it too. To break the standard mores, meaning the family unit, that was imperative. On behalf of a ruling elite, H.G. Wells was no, was no communist. Even the group that he, he helped found, along with George Bernard Shaw, the Fabian Society, was no communist society, even though they worked deeply with the communists. They even boasted how close they were with, with communism. Is, uh, they, they had a place at the table in the Soviet Union. That's what, how, what, how they phrased it. But the people who, who belonged to it in the UK were wealthy people. And the workers of, of it who, who wanted to be wealthy, the, the H.G. Wellesies and so on. And I've put up the links before where, where George Bernard Shaw says, when we are in power, you'll have to come to us to justify why we should allow you to stay alive. They wouldn't have any dead weight. Uh, they wouldn't have anybody who was sick chronically and so on. They'd have to just get, be eliminated long before Adolf Hitler came along. Don't forget that. Now, Wells uh, wrote in 1902 about faith and morals and um, public policy. And it says, under a scientific analysis, the essential facts of life are very clearly shown to be two, birth and death. And the ethical system of these men of the New Republic, he called it the New Republic, they bring him, the ethical system which will dominate the world state will be shaped primarily to favor the procreation of what is fine and efficient and beautiful in humanity. Beautiful and strong bodies, clear and powerful minds, and a growing body of knowledge and to check the procreation of base and servile types, of fear-driven and cowardly souls, of all that is mean and ugly and bestial in the souls, bodies, or habits of men. To do the latter is to do the former. The two things are inseparable. And the method that nature has followed hitherto in the shaping of the world, whereby weakness was prevented from propagating weakness, and cowardice and feebleness were saved from the accomplishment of their desires. The method that has only one alternative, the method that must in some cases still be called in to the help of man is death. In other words, kill off the feeble, etc., etc. He's talking about. 1902. And the new vision, death is no inexplicable horror. Remember, that's what they also had in, in, in Brave New Worlds, where they teach the children that death is wonderful. It's no, horror, no pointless terminal terror to the miseries of life. It is the end of all the pain of life, the end of the bitterness of failure, because I mean, all the people at the bottom, you'll, you'll feel you're a failure, and so on. The merciful obliteration of weak and silly and pointless things. He also talked about the, the breeding of, of people and breeding the right kind of people. And you find that Russell talked about all these characters were all in the same clubs, remember. The new ethics will hold life to be a privilege, and there you go, and a responsibility, and the alternative and right conduct between living fully, beautifully, and efficiently will be to die. For a multitude of contemptible and silly creatures, fear-driven and helpless and useless, unhappy or hateful, happy in the, in the midst of squalor, dishonor, feeble, ugly, inefficient, born of unrestrained lusts, and increasing and multiplying through sheer incontinence and stupidity, the men of the new republic will have little pity and less benevolence. 
to make life convenient for the breeding of such people will seem to them not the most virtuous and amiable thing in the world as it is held to be now. Because it's talking about the charities that were, were should be held in contempt. But an exceedingly abominable proceeding. Procreation is an unavoidable thing for sane persons of even the most furious passions, and the men of the New Republic will hold that the procreation of children who, by the circumstances of their parentage, must be diseased bodily or mentally, do not think it will be difficult for the medical science of the coming time to define such circumstances is absolutely the most loathsome of all conceivable sins. They will hold that a certain portion of the population, a small minority, for example, afflicted with indisputably transmissible diseases, with transmissible mental disorders, with such hideous incurable habits of mind as a craving for intoxication, exists only on sufferance out of pity and patience, and on the understanding that they do not propagate. And I do not foresee any reason to suppose that they will hesitate to kill when that sufferance is abused. So he's talking about killing off alcoholics and all kinds of people that uh, they didn't agree with. And then he says, the men of the New Republic will not be squeamish either in facing or inflicting death because they will have a fuller sense of possibilities of life than we possess. They will have an ideal that will make killing worth the while. Like Abraham, they will have the faith to kill, and they will have no superstitions about death. They will naturally regard the modest suicide of incurably melancholy or diseased or helpless persons as a high and courageous act of duty rather than a crime. And since they will regard, as indeed all men raised above a British level do regard, a very long term of imprisonment as infinitely worse than death, as being indeed the death with a living misery added to its natural terror, they will, I conceive, where the whole tenor of a man's actions, and not simply some indecent or impulsive action, seems to prove him unfitting for free life in the world, consider him carefully and condemn him and remove him from being." All such killing will be done with an opiate, for death is too grave a thing to be made painful or dreadful and used as a deterrent from crime. To kill under the seemly conditions science will afford is a far less offensive thing. The rulers of the future will grudge making good people into jailers, warders, punishment dealers, nurses, attendants on the bad. People who cannot live happily and freely in the world without spoiling the lives of others are better out of it. That is a current sentiment even today, but the men of the New Republic will have the courage of their opinions. And it goes on too about sterilization, sterile sex, and so on, which is awfully interesting because we're here today. You don't think these things just came and disappeared. They're still here, (laughs) the same organizations running all. Some of them change their names, some don't. As is the essential aspect of all this wild and windy business of the sexual relations is, after all, births. That's all, that's all they cared about was the birth aspect of it. Upon this plain fact, the people of the emergent New Republic will unhesitatingly go. The preeminent value of sexual questions in morality lies in the fact that the lives of which we will can constitute the future are involved. If they are not involved, if we can disassociate this relationship from this issue, then sexual questions become of no more importance than the morality of one's deportment at chess or the general morality of outdoor games. Indeed, when the question of sexual relationships would be entirely on all fours with and probably very analogous to the question of golf, 
and each question it would be for the medical man and the psychologist to decide how far the thing was wholesome and permissible and how far it was an aggressive bad habit and an absorbing waste of time and energy. There were specialists that will decide what's right and wrong. An able-bodied man continually addicted to lovemaking that had no result in offspring would be just as silly and morally objectionable as an able-bodied man who devoted his chief energies to hitting little balls all over golf links. But no more, both would probably be wasting the lives of other human beings. The golfer must employ his caddy. It's entirely the matter of births and a further consideration to be presently discussed that makes this analogy untrue. It does not, however, make it so untrue as to do away with the probability that in many cases the emergent men of the new time will consider sterile gratification, that, that's, that's sex without two offspring, sterile gratification a moral and legitimate thing, and it is today. Actually, it's, now it's maybe a recreational thing. St. Paul tells us that it is better to marry than to burn, but to beget children on that account will appear, I imagine, to these coming men as an absolutely loathsome proceeding. Most of the human types that by civilized standards are undesirable are quite willing to die out through such suppressions if the world will only encourage them a little. They multiply in sheer ignorance, but they do not desire multiplication even now, and they can easily be made to dread it. Sensuality aims not at life, but at itself. I believe that the men of the New Republic will deliberately shape their public policy along these lines. Well, it's all been done. The big movement in, this, in the 50s and even in the 40s by certain schools was to separate the, the bonding instinct uh, from mating, from the sexual mating of, of the male and female. If you separate that, that the bonding part from it, then it'd be a, you'd end up with a recreational system. And that's what it is today. It's promoted through everything you look at, for goodness sake. Just, just rub like rabbits, and that's it. That's <laughs> not supposed to be the healthiest thing you could possibly do. And any offspring that does come out of it is, is just mass abortion across across the place. We take that as quite quite normal. There's nothing I'm reading that hasn't been done, but I'm reading from a time when it was when it was still in the planning, and and it, it was still in the early phases of, of putting it into operation. And then they go on to talk about the development of science has lifted famine and pestilence from the shoulders of man, and it will yet lift war for some other end than to give him a spell of promiscuous and finally cruel and horrible reproduction. No doubt the sentimentalist and all whose moral sense has been vigorously trained in the old school find this rather a dreadful suggestion. It amounts to saying that for the abyss to become a hotbed of sterile immorality will fall in with the deliberate policy of the ruling class in the days to come. At any rate, we'll be terminating evil. At present, the abyss is a hotbed breeding undesirable and too often fearfully miserable children under the really very horrible morality of today. The spectacle of a mean-spirited, undersized, diseased little man, quite incapable of earning a decent living, even for himself, married to some underfed, ignorant, ill-shaped, plain and diseased little woman, and guilty of the lives of ten or twelve ugly, ailing children, is regarded as extremely edifying spectacle. And so on. He really didn't like the wrong classes at all. Actually, they terrified him in case he ever had to be forced to join them. But this is what they put forward, remember, on behalf of the working class to, to get them on board with their own demise. You see how cleverly it's all done? 
He talks about two of the inferior races, and he says, how will it be to treat the inferior races? Certainly not as races at all. It will aim to establish, and it will at least, though probably only after a second century has passed, establish a world state, a world state, with a common language and common rule. All over the world, its roads, its standards, its laws, and its apparatus of control will run. It will, I have said, make the multiplication of those who fall behind a certain standard of social efficiency unpleasant and difficult, and it will have cast aside any coddling laws to save adult men from themselves. It will tolerate no dark corners where the people of the abyss may fester. No vast diffused slums of peasants, proprietors, no stagnant plague preserves, and for the rest those swarms of black and brown and dirty white and yellow people who do not come into the new needs of efficiency. Well, the world is a world, not a charitable institution, and I take it they will have to go. The whole tenor and meaning of the world as I see it is that they have to go so far as they fail to develop sane, vigorous, and distinctive personalities for the great world of the future. It is their portion to die out and disappear. Now remember, too, he also wrote about uh, the future. This is part of the future, but not the same book. And in, in other books, he talks about... Uh, the, the, oh, yeah, he talks about, too, they would use sea power again to to waste your tax money to provide electricity, and which is happening against more stories in the paper this week, in fact, about that. And also, they would use more and more solar power and windmills and so on to create this. This is a hundred odd years ago. Just to show you're you're following the the big plan. Interestingly, too, he talked about the creation of a world government before the League of Nations was up and running because he was part of the group as, as as a propagandist for the group who was behind it all. And... He talked about uh, the ability for bureaucrats in one nation to bypass their own elected governments and go straight to their their brothers in, in another governmental country in a system and talk with them, get things done, just bypass the, the, the politics altogether. That was the whole point of it. Still is with the United Nations. Now... And can you imagine, too, where it would be if the UN had got all, all the things it wanted to go away, get done? And they would, uh, they would have, oh, we'd be living in this, what I just read here right now, in fact. Many people are so jaded with politics that they see what's wrong with that, at least to get things done. But, but and it's so easy to fall in that trap, isn't it? Stop and wait a minute and think, wait a minute, you're... In that case, there's no representation for the public at all, even though what we have at the moment is a kind of a bit of a sham. At least it's something. But you won't even have the sham eventually. You'll just have a faceless bureaucrats and a thousand million forms they fill in uh, to get anything answered, and even then you'll, you'll never get any answer. Uh, that's, the, that's the alternative. But that's what the big boys at the top want. They've always wanted that. We're experts. They'll rule the world on behalf of the financial elite, and we're pretty well there, actually. Especially when they bring forth the supposed, we're told, the the, uh, the great philanthropists, and and, or, and they're not even inventors. They, get, they simply own uh, the new formats of cars and things that have to get pushed ahead. And uh, they're, big, they're businessmen and investors who get governments to back them dollar for dollar, or actually more, on their investments so they can't, they can't fail. This is the new form of ruling the world.
we don't vote them in. We don't vote in to, to use the equipment that's produced by their factories. But their government's rubber stamping it. Can you imagine the power when you get the government to rubber stamp that every citizen must use your particular whatever it happens to be? That's quite the power, isn't it? And folk don't even seem to notice that. But it's not new. It's the same thing with vaccines and various other things too. And uh, as in fact, the pharmacology would love to have the government mandate we all take pills. Eventually that will come with SOMA. And it's coming anyway with initially with medical marijuana. Because now it's a time. It's a time to keep folk tranquil as to go through the massive changes into the next part of the, of the new system. Now we've touched on before the system of a social approval and disapproval. I've been given lots of talks in the past about these techniques dreamed up by the social engineers and behaviorism and uh, neuroscience, of course, is all on board with it. Everybody's on board with it to do with managing your mind. But behaviorism is, is a big technique now of managing all citizens without their even knowing that they're being manipulated. Everyone wants to get along with everyone else. We all have that, that image of ourselves. We want to be liked by other people. It's really drummed into today in school, social approval and disapproval. Uh, Groupthink, going along with the group. Don't be the oddball that's got a different opinion. Today is, is taboo in this day and age. And it continues. This, this training continues throughout your life. We've had the recent admissions by social media of censoring people who have different uh, or, or taboo topics or opinions or whatever, Ever, anything that's politically incorrect at the moment. And they tell you quite openly what is correct and what's politically incorrect and what they want and what they don't want. So you're left to be blackmailed actually to go along with the system to be accepted. Well, in some countries, and I've given talks even years ago about China being set up as the model state by the United Nations that we're all supposed to follow. Now, China has a, has a vastly different culture than other cultures, and it's a collectivist-type culture, more so than, than Western civilizations, who are more independent, more individualistic and how we get along and how we live our lives. But we're not going to be allowed that. If anything, you'll, you'll be eradicated if you don't go along with this, because the big global agenda is for collectivism, in a sense. Until we're almost clones of each other, uh, with all the same opinions, we all want to be good. We want to be socially uh, approved as good, and that way we can get our, our monthly pay from the government and so on, because that's where it's all supposed to go, as Bertrand Russell said years ago. The state will issue you your, your, your cash every month, where you work or not. And that's, that's even been in the news recently again. I read it two or three weeks ago. Same thing, where they were considering giving everybody a basic income, where you worked or not. You're simply living a script. A script is over 100 years old, at least. And social approval and social disapproval. Well, here's China. It says good citizens will get fast internet and other benefits. And this is from uh, hired China, so it's actually for, for, for jobs in China. And uh, fine, if that's what they want. If that's what they want, they, they can do what they want. Sure they can. But to force this system up on the West, it could, it could cause some problems, I think. Maybe. Maybe not. Because the techniques I do not ever downplay on the West. I've watched people having their opinions changed all the time by the techniques that are used in science. 
This is by 2020, the behavior of every single citizen and legal person, which includes every company or other entity in China, will be rated and ranked participating in China's credit scores. The credit scores will be mandatory. This was published in 2014. The State Council of China published a document called Planning Outline for the Construction of a Social Credit System. In three short years, based on the government's plan, Chinese tech giants WeChat and Alipay have already launched their own credit scoring system. National Trust Scoring System exists now to rate people in China and secure them services based on the social credit score. And they have other citizens. This is, you actually see it's already here, but you just don't, you don't call it the same names. But basically, these other citizens, it could even be sock puppets, you know, giving you scores on, on how good you are or, or bad you are, whatever it happens to be. A national database will merge a wide variety of information on everyone, assessing whether taxes and traffic tickets have been paid, whether academic degrees have been rightly earned, etc., Tencent and developer of the messaging app WeChat, with more than 850 million active users, launched its own credit system early August, signaling that private social credit systems are alive and well. They mentioned the same thing about Alipay, etc. And it says, no one understands you more than data giants. Controversially, data giants do not hide that it judges the types of products shoppers buy online. Someone who plays video games for 10 hours a day, for example, would be considered an idle person. Now tie that right in to what I mentioned earlier from H.G. Wells from 100 years ago. Someone who frequently buys diapers would be considered as probably a parent who on balance is more likely to have a sense of responsibility. Another category to assess credit is interpersonal relationships. Sharing what Sesame Credit refers to as positive energy online, nice messages about the government, and how well the country's economy is doing will make your score go up. You can see where it all is meant to go. And Sesame has promoted the consumer benefits of a good credit score from a prominent dating profile on the Bahai matchmaking site to VIP reservations with hotels and car rental companies. The social credit system in China also affects foreign business. While many reports have focused on how social scoring will affect individuals, a more interesting aspect might be its implications for doing business in China, including foreign companies. Actually, that's not a bad idea for scoring for, for, for in the businesses because some of these businesses are really ripping off their customers. Eh? Anyway, functionally speaking, the data will be collected from multiple sources by the so-called National Credit Information Sharing Platform. Do you understand the power that's in the hands of government with all of this and used to generate ratings for each company? And people with low ratings will have slower internet speeds. That's what they're going to give you as punishment and restricted access to restaurants and the removal of the right to travel. So you, you better be good. You better say all the right things and praise all the whole, the, everything in the system, and so on. That's where it's all going to go. Remember, this is the model state for the world to follow, according to the United Nations. And people with low ratings have slower internet speeds, restricted access to certain restaurants, nightclubs, and so on, removal of a right to travel freely abroad with restrictive control and consumption within holiday areas or travel businesses, will not be hired by certain employers, and will be forbidden from obtaining some jobs. And that's what you have in this uh, still uh, a single-party system in China. And again, folk think nothing of it, do they? 
it's quite interesting to see all this. China Social Credit, Beijing sets up a huge system. That was BBC, also on the same topic. And in most countries, the existence of a credit system isn't controversial. Past financial information is used to protect when individuals will pay their mortgages and so on, blah, blah, blah. But China has taken the whole concept a few steps further. Uh, the government is building an omnipotent social credit system that's meant to rate each citizen's trustworthiness. There you go. It's interesting, though. I mean, I think some some topics are too frightening for most folk to, to even take it seriously. It's, oh, they could never do that, or they wouldn't do that, etc., etc. But that's exactly what they are doing. <laughs> that's exactly what they're doing. And as I say, that's the model state for the world. Jack Zatali mentioned it in one of his books as well, uh, that you would be given slower internet speed, and you would be censored if you had any opinions that weren't in line with the government. Now, you, look at the power, though. This criti- being critical of government or any government policy could have you unemployed and, and living in poverty and maybe starving to death. It's because you didn't agree with something that government was doing at the time. That's total power. That's what it's called totalitarianism, isn't it? But no one's going, no no country is going to object to this. No, none of your governments are going to object to this because they want to bring it in across the board, across the world. And as I say, that kind of system might work fine in in a country that that is very collectivist by its own historical culture, history, and so on. But uh, it wouldn't wash in the West so well, would it? Or maybe it would, I don't know. I think with enough indoctrination of the right kind, anything can be done to society. I've witnessed that too much of it in my own lifetime. that's been done that was written about again, often before I was born, by big players in this, this future planning industry. And it's all come to pass, so nothing really shocks me, in a sense. I can't see why they can't bring it in, especially if they, if they get a culture in the West that's addicted to leisure or addicted to playing on the internet or whatever, whatever the particular thing it is. I think they could use that as a bargaining tool. Be good, etc., and accept this and this and this and this. Go along with all of these things and will allow you to keep playing yourself. I mean, I think that's literally how they could do it. Play. Play itself will be of tremendous value in this this bargaining that might go may or may not even go on, but there you go. That's 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 that. And once taboo socialism, communism finds comrades amongst the U.S. millennials, all falls into place. If you if you're wondering why it's all happening now, nothing happens by itself. It's all coerced and managed to bring all things together at the right time for particular agendas. And it says, Lee Carter, who this week won a seat in the Virginia House of Delegates, is part of a growing cadre of young politicians pledging their allegiance to the Democratic Socialists of America. And they're quite blatant about it with their little hammers and sickles and all the rest of it, too. What they mean by this is quite, quite... And, and what's amazing, really, is the fact that most folk have access to the same information that I have and you all have, but most folk don't look it up and find out who. Why why is all the top international corporations, the so-called capitalists, on board with forcing a form of socialism across the world on on the masses of the public? It's always been that way, though, from even before (laughs) Lenin came along. It was always the elite behind all this kind of stuff. In a managed society, as H.G. Wells talked about, would make it much, much easier for the elite to, to rule the world by planning who gets born, who doesn't get born, 
who they can eliminate, etc., uh, etc., et uh, make it much easier for them to manage all. Now, talking about the, the mass indoctrination and so on. Now, Scotland, Scotland is a test base for Gerfeg. I've mentioned that before. Getting it right for every child is supposedly called. They've got, there are a few names for it now too, and things added on to it under the so-called wellness program. This this farce of wellness for the new system. You understand once you're in a collectivist society, and you're given the bare minimum to live on every week across the board, basically, then you're in a collectivist society where the state's in control of dishing out the cash for everybody, whether you're working or not. A centralized system. That was what communism was, of course. And technically, the state was in charge of everything, but the state, but but in, even the communist system, it wasn't. The state didn't own all the means of production because many corporations worked in hand in glove with the corporation, the big, the, the actual corporation of of the government. That is, all governments are corporations, and and so it was a bit of a farce. And, and plus, they had they, they did have uh, private banking systems over there too for the for the, the elite that ruled the Soviet system. It had the little caveat that it was allowed if you didn't make, make profits off the back of, of laborers. Not kidding you. Like, imagine if a lawyer, how lawyers would run rings around that, and they certainly did. But anyway, Scotland is, is a test bed for all of this stuff. And it's got wellness. Now, what a wellness. I, I did talks on that years ago when I, when I saw this creeping into the well. How's your wellness? And they did surveys, you see. Well, people could be awfully poor, but, but their feeling of well-being was just hunky-dory. Well, you could drug folk and, and starve them to death at the same time. And they'll tell you as they're starving to death, they're feeling just hunky-dory. Their wellness is fine. And I'm not just joking about this. You think about it, they're going to bring in a lot of different drugs now, legalize a lot of different drugs, make it cheap, to bring you through this big phase of the big change, the big change into the system, the new system. And if you, if you got your drug, like, uh, drugged on some kind of soma, then all the better. It doesn't matter what it is. As long as you can just, you know, drop out oh, and be all happy. How, how are you feeling today? You know, well, I have no job, and, uh, well, but they gave me this, this half pound of so-and-so, and it's, 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 it's give me quite a buzz here. I feel pretty well. Well, that's, that's where they're going with all this stuff. I'm not kidding you. H.G. Uh, Wells talked about all the useless eaters Like Bertrand Russell did the same thing Same organizations you know. yeah. Be humane Kill them off hum- humanely So here, here's this, this thing to do with Gerfeck This is postcards from the fringe At Times Trust and Scottish Home Education Forum Held a fringe ev- evidence session Wednesday 15th November 2017 To gather views on the Children and Young People Information Sharing Scotland Bill, which is currently before the Education and Skills Committee of the Scottish Parliament. We heard evidence from those with first-hand experience of Gerfeck as getting it right for every child. That's where every child is given, uh, 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 basically allocated uh, a named person by the government at birth who will check into them all the time throughout their, their lives, basically, uh, to make sure that they're, pl- they're politically correct, etc., etc., as far as I can see. Then they give the Shanari, is another thing here, Shanari, a name person's policy. So it's Gerfeck Shanari, a name person policy. The parents and families on the receiving end of practitioners' well-being subjectivity. <laughs> you can tell you're in a socialist country with all these terms. Eh? 
Despite the fact that Parliament didn't think it necessary to seek the views of and hear from such vital players in this debate, the evidence from parents and families is nevertheless crucial to deliberations over this legislation because it is they who have and will continue to bear the brutal brunt of such ill-conceived, poorly drafted legislation. The legislation is totalitarian in its whole concept. What we heard further highlighted the appalling experiences of families under this much-hated scheme, with families making it clear they do not want this legislation in any form. They want to scrapped in totality. Parents and families were keen to start a petition calling for a public inquiry on the whole debacle, and if Parliament will not do this, families want an independent citizens' inquiry in order to get at the truth. Parents and families do not only want the named person scheme scrapped, they raise questions over the the viability of continuing with GERFEC. As one parent stated, data is the spine of GERFEC. It's not about data collection, but everybody in the family. I mean, completely intimate, ongoing throughout their entire life. Because they also have the GERFEC for every every adult now too, they're pushing to try to push through. She says, how can it work given the ruling from the UK Supreme Court last year? Some of those who gave evidence accompanied us down to the Parliament at the end of the evidence sessions, and one young person who has been a victim of legislation presented James Dornan, member of Scottish Parliament, a convener of the Education Skills Committee, with over 90 pieces of evidence of families' experiences. We hope Mr Dornan and every member of the committee read and hear these experiences. It's a massive experiment, and it's much bigger than... And they want to, the, the, the Scottish Parliament ain't going to tell the people that it's above even them. Uh, they're all working in concert with a much higher organisation, Global, and, and Scotland is a test bed for all of this social engineering and all the damage. As you understand, if you're working class and all the rest, you're just written off. You're completely written off as part of the experiment. Just like test rats. Rats in laboratories, once they've had all the tested done on them, they're always killed by law. I'm not kidding you. And then they're dissected. That's what they do with them. They don't keep them alive if they survive different uh, injections of, of disease or whatever. They, they, they literally um, kill them. And with, with, with all this incredible, incredible meddling in people's brains and their minds and in their family life and their, and their personal everyday living, they don't give a darn the damage it causes to people. They really don't. Another one, too, getting it right for every child. Gerfeg, I'll put this up to this link so you can read it for yourself. Remember, this is a test for the world. You all get this. It would fall right in with China. I'm sure they have a, a system in different systems in China. Uh, was even better tweaked, you might say, for total, total engineering of every citizen as they're growing up. This is Gerfeg's a national approach in Scotland to improving outcomes and supporting the well-being of our children. Well-being is a very broad thing. <laughs> it could mean anything you want. Of our children and young people by offering the right help at the right time from the right people. It supports them and their parents to work in partnership. Well, the parents didn't ask for anybody to work in partnership. You understand? Parents are supposed to be parents, but again, they're telling you, no, you're not anymore. The child is, all children are ours. That's what the state is telling you. That's what Bertrand Russell said. He said, we used to think we, meaning the Socialist International, he was a Lord member, part of the right-wing group at the top, who ran the left wing. (laughs) And he talked about them. He said, we should think we'd have to take all the children off their parents at birth and raise them independently so they weren't contaminated with the views and opinions of their parents. He says, but now we realize, but by the right indoctrination, if we get the children young enough, 
even in the kindergarten phase, we can so indoctrinate them scientifically that any parental inputs will be null and void or will be of no consequence. It'll be so so perfect, you see. Here you are. It's all here. It's all here, folks. So it's quite an article. I'll, I'll put these up for you to read. And then you've got from the government to uh, another one, too, on the same topic from the government. But this one here is a brief introduction to Gerfek, Shanari, and My World. <laughs> Gerfek. They're all well-being and the care is necessary for a child, young person to reach their potential, blah, 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 blah. And the My World Triangle is a pictorial representation of assessment tool used with individual children to determine which of their needs are being met. Now, who decides what their needs are? Well, the state will, of course. And it's also with emotional and everything else needs, including if they want to change anything, they can do that as well. And one thought on a brief introduction to Gearfectionary in My World 2, it's got links going into the government, etc., uh, etc. Et Quite amazing. Eh? All this stuff that we'd read our whole life, well, I read them whole lives, and you're living through the phase of it all being implemented is quite amazing, isn't it? And and so blatantly, too. If you'd mentioned that again 40 years ago, folk would laugh at all oh, that. They could never do that. The parents would never let it happen. Well, <laughs> look at it today. Uh-uh-uh. <laughs> Russell, too, said back in the 50s, he says, we're, we're training a, a generation to only listen to experts. And they won't be able to do anything by themselves unless an expert tells them how, including changing. He, he said it, the nappy at the time was a Britain, it was called a nappy, it's a diaper, on, on their own children, which at that time was seemed ludicrous because everybody knew how to do that. Uh, but now they don't. They've been trained never to believe their own instincts and, and abilities. You must get an opinion of the television of some expert brought on on how to do this or that or simple things. So there you go. It's, it's all there, isn't it? It's all there. And then again, two television was awfully successful in separating the, the parents from the children, even the men from the women. I mean, everybody for a long time had their own TV set in their own different rooms. Quite some of the way it's been worked out. Very efficiently. Now, I've mentioned, too, that for the last few years, it was like a switch had been pulled on all the press, and suddenly you're not getting real news anymore. It's all nonsense and junk and basically baseless stories when you look into things. That's the new normal for us all across the board. I went into the Levinson Inquiry in Britain, and the one they had in Australia, too, and across other British Commonwealth countries. And it, it, all these things went into force at the same time. And this article was from, from 2013, and it's about, the, again, the push to control all the press. Because Harman warns of full-on laws to control press if papers do not sign up to Royal Charter. And it says the Culture Secretary, Maria Miller, told members of Parliament that papers cannot be forced to sign. And it threatens them all if they don't go along with it and sign on to, to this new watchdog of watching what they say and so on and so on. See, that, that was, that's how it all started with the inquiries in Britain and London and the top of the culture secretary. I've mentioned before, everybody's got a culture secretary and a culture department and so on. It's quite interesting, isn't it? As they change your culture, they still have a culture department, which is there to make sure that you're adapting to the new changes in culture. Quite amazing, eh? And they're going to police it and find people and, and force folk out that won't go along with it. Also in the U.S., have just struck down a bill, some old law that's been working up to the present time to stop monopolies, real, real, big, big, bigger monopolies of media, 
concentration. Now they're allowing them to, to basically have corporations own maybe a half or more of your all of your media and outlets too. That's in the press now too. Because now it's time you see to go into the world, one world system and into the new controlling organization that controls the world. That's what it's all about, global. And lots of folk will go along with it thinking, well, what's wrong with it? If we can, we can play with our lives and be good and do all the right things we're told to do and perpetual childhood is what it is. And maybe some folk can, maybe, actually a lot of folk probably can. They, they probably will love socialism as long as they get careful nudges before they get hammered to get them back into line if they're going off on the wrong track without knowing it. They might, they might just enjoy it. Sad but true, perpetual childhood in a world run by experts and a tier above it all. It's almost like getting above the clouds where the real, the, the real world is, the real world where, where you know everything, everything is being done, you're part of doing it all. But below the cloud we have the ordinary people across the planet who are kept in a scientific maze, basically. That's sad, isn't it? But that's the way it really is. For me, it's always been evident that they use galvanizing techniques to force us into the next system. And the next system has to be done in such a way, in a crisis situation, you might say, to get us into it. Thinking, thinking we're just, actually, we almost always be taught that they're helping us as we get plundered. Because the next step is to bring in, as I say, the governmental minimum pay thing across the board, whether you're working or not. In a service economy, they know that we're going down the tubes. It's meant to go down the tubes. They knew that before they brought it in. And uh, you could do books and books and books on that alone. It's just, just too easy. But anyway, the European Central Bank wants to end deposit protection. I've talked about this before. And offer savers appropriate amount of their own money. This is from the, the Central Bank. The, the World Bank's in on it too, and IMF and all the rest of it. Anyway, covered deposits no longer need to be protected According to the European Central Bank, which was proposed this month to stop withdrawals when a bank is on the verge of failing, covered deposits and claims under investor compensation schemes should be replaced by limited discretionary exemptions to be granted by the competent authority, like that part, the competent authority, which is themselves, in order to retain a degree of flexibility to the bank's proposal. And so the current €100,000 Deposit level currently protected in the event of a bail-in would no longer be available. So a bail-in, remember, is when it, a bail-out is, is when the government uses your tax money to bail them out. A bail-in is when they grab your savings. But supposedly you were you were, you were insured up to hundred thousand euros. As so during a transitional period, depositors should have access to an appropriate amount of their covered deposits to cover the cost of living, as if there's a crash within five working days of a request. So you have to put a request in to get money out if your bank crashes. That means depositors will have to wait five days for a competent authority, quotation marks, to decide what is an appropriate amount of their own money, your money, that they might give to you. So you can buy food, pay bills, and so on. Now, this, this is happening now, folks, for those who haven't quite got it. That this, isn't, uh, this is mainstream stuff, too. It's not conspiracy nonsense. And it makes sense to me that's where they'd want to go to bring in the new crisis system. It would have to be done in a form of crisis. And we're producing nothing. We're a service economy, and we can only paddle for so long. But I'll put these links up for those who care to paddle through it. Don't let it get you down, by the way, because let's be honest, I think we've always been run by crisis. And whole generations that were run in the past with their own forms, not quite as efficient of social engineering and 
they might say diversions of, off the mind, <laughs> but today we're into an awfully good, uh, all-encompassing uh, form of it for sure. Anyway, from myself, Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your God's school with you.